the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Hey, good afternoon and welcome, ladies and gentlemen. This is Gino Geraci. So glad you could join me on the program Crosswalk with Gino Geraci. It is, of course, the program where we typically take your calls and answer your questions about the things you care the most about. Questions about God and the historical Jesus. Questions about the Bible. Questions about world views and world religions. And of course, we talk about the past, which is history. We talk about the future, which is prophecy. And we quite literally talk about everything in between. So if you'd like to join me, the number is 303-873-1935, 303-873-1935. And of course, friendly Javi, Javier, is filling in for uh, Jim, for my producer. And so, Javier, welcome to the program. Thanks for joining us. And the number is 303-873-1935. Javier will pick up the phone. He'll ask you, you, hey, what do you want to ask Gino? And we'll make every effort to get your question on the program, 303-873-1935. So much to talk about. And, of course, it's impossible to avoid the subject of Ukraine and Russia and I'm happy to uh, talk a little bit more about um, that great big question, the million-dollar question that pundits, analysts have been asking for the last two weeks, and that is why did Vladimir Putin invade Ukraine? And, of course, I'd like to uh, share a quote with you from Louis Evans, who said, quote, Man is never so tall as when he kneels before God. Never so great as when he humbles himself before God. And the man who kneels to God can stand up to anything. The reason why I bring up that quote is because there is a growing bit of information that more and more Ukrainians are finding themselves praying. And of course, one of the questions that we're hoping to get to is that question it's a great big question. It's a, it's a question I'm often asked, and I wish there were some really good answers to this question. And and obviously there are many, many people who have addressed the issue. If God is a God of love, why hasn't he dealt with the problem of evil? Or why hasn't he dealt with evil? And I'm I'm hoping to at least talk a little bit about that important question. But again, if you'd like to join me, it's 303-873-1935. My friend Jim Dennison at the Dennison Forum, he he posts at the Dennison Forum and also at uh, at ChristianHeadlines.com. He, his big headline at the Daily Article today is, Would Putin Use Tactical Nuclear Weapons to Win This War? And of course, that's a chilling question particularly in light of what's happened today as Estonia's parliament has voted that they believe that NATO should should 
initiate a no-fly zone in Ukraine. And of course, several NATO members have repeatedly said that it isn't their desire to escalate this most horrible of situations. But I'll talk a little bit more about that in just a moment. But uh, my friend, Dr. Jim Dennison, reports, of course, the other headline. And as um, my colleague Stefan Tubbs at our sister station, KNUS, is fond of saying, this isn't a sports uh, program, but again, in the news, legendary quarterback Tom Brady made global headlines when he retired after his team lost the Super Bowl last month. Now, uh, it's interesting. He announced on Twitter yesterday, he said, quote, these past two months, I've realized my place is still on the field and not in the stands, unquote. And as a result, he stated, I'm coming back for my 23rd season in Tampa unfinished business, unquote. Now, again, when I read that and I thought about that, of course, um, I resigned my position as the pastor of Calvary South Denver. My son is doing a great job at Calvary South Denver. But it made me wonder, what would it take for me to make a similar announcement that these past several years, I've realized my place is still in the pulpit and not in the pew. (laughs) Well, fortunately, since I retired in 2020 and 2021, in spite of COVID and in spite of world events, I found myself teaching um, in a number of places, and I'm happy, happy, happy to continue to teach. In more normal times, that announcement might have been the subject um, And it might have actually filled the headlines and been the top of the news. Or, of course, former President Barack Obama reported yesterday that he tested positive for COVID-19. And, of course, more and more people are beginning to uh, understand that other things seem to have pushed COVID-19 off the top of the list of things to be most concerned about. And of course, the other things in the news, the opening of baseball spring training. I love baseball. I can't remember, Javier, how many baseball games are played in a year, but I want to say it's north of 160. The NCAA basketball playoffs begin. There's enough going on in the news that we could talk about a number of different things. But of course, these aren't normal times. With the parliament voting to initiate a no-fly zone in the Ukraine, we have heightened conversations about what does that mean Will this escalate? And what are the inevitable outcomes that we have to look forward to? And it's chilling. And it's also disturbing when you see ABC, NBC, CBS, Fox News, CNN, 
this ongoing barrage of information as it comes in virtually, at least during World War II, it would take two or three weeks for the news um, to get to the United States of America. But in the virtual society in which we live, in the virtual media, we have instant, instant information. And of course... My friend Jim Dennison writes that this is a uniquely perilous moment. He's quoting, of course, David French, who's a military veteran and an attorney and one of the more perceptive uh, cultural commentators. And uh, he wrote in The Atlantic an article that is subtitled, this is a uniquely, well, the, the title is Uniquely Perilous Time. It's subtitled, Smaller Scale Tactical Nuclear Weapons Could Bring the Great Powers into a Brutal, Deadly, and Unprecedented Conflict. Of course, this is a conversation that's really hard to have. But again, as the program unfolds. We'll talk more about it, but I'd love to hear from you. 303-873-1935. Let's see who's up. Luke, welcome to the program. Hi, Luke. So we're not getting him, Javier. Are we having a little bit of technical difficulties? And we're about to go to break. So, again, maybe we can work out our technical difficulties. Luke, if you're still there, and if you're not still still there, call back at 303-873-1935. This is Gino Geraci. I'll be back. Hey, welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. This is Gino Geraci. So glad you could join me. The number is 303-873-1935. Let's see if we can find Luke again. Luke, are you there? Hello, Luke. See uh, Javier, I think we're having some sort of button kind of technical difficulty because I'm not hearing them. So, yeah, that's not a good thing. But um, he's gonna. We're gonna try and figure this out, Luke. But uh, it's my understanding that you wanted to talk about forgiveness in Luke chapter twenty-one, verse thirty-four which I'm happy, happy to talk about if we can figure out a way to get him back on. So, Javier, if you can figure that out, then you figure it out and see if you can get him on. But in the meantime, I'll talk a little bit about that passage. Jesus in that passage says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they're doing. Um, It's also found, like I said, um, in Luke chapter 23, verse 34, where it says, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do, and they cast lots to divide his garments. And Jesus looked down from the cross on a scene that must have been distressing. So the Roman soldiers were gambling for his clothes, according to John chapter 19. And again, what I like to point out about that passage is at least a couple of things. And that is... um, In Luke chapter 23, verse uh, 34, well, I'm in in chapter 22, so no wonder it's not saying what what it's, so I'm wondering if if we've got even, oh, it's chapter 21, verse 34, and uh, where it says, 
I'm take heed to yourself. So I said, anytime your hearts be overcharged with surfeiting and drunkenness. So Luke 21, 34, isn't the, the passage of scripture on forgiveness. So I'm just wondering if we're talking about the same thing. It's 23, 34, but um, in Luke chapter 23, verse 34, where it says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. The two things I wanted to point out is his location. He's on the cross. So it's obviously very painful. The second is his humiliation. That is, if you further read in the text, it says something very, very troubling. And that is, it says, and the people stood looking on in verse 35. And the people stood looking on. It was, the word means gawking or staring. And again, they're gawking and staring because he's in a humiliating circumstance. There's no, there's no, um, non-humiliating way to be crucified in a non-painful way. But then he prays, Father, forgive them, which is interesting to me because it means that the presence of pain and the presence of humiliation doesn't necessarily mean the absence of forgiveness. So it's my understanding Luke is there. Luke, are you there now? Hey. Okay, gotcha. Did you hear anything I just said? Of course. Okay, so in is this this is the passage of scripture you wanted to talk about, Luke twenty three thirty four, right? I'm so sorry, I could have swore it was the other, but No, it's not twenty one thirty four. Especially if it's that passage about forgiveness. Um, well, it was that part about the trap. About the trap? Right. Uh it says watch yourselves or else that day is gonna come upon you like a trap. All right, so let's make sure I'm... That one? Uh, yeah, I don't want to answer a question that you don't want the answer to. So if it's chapter 21, in verse 24, it says, And they shall fall by the edge of the sword, and shall be led away captive into all nations, and Jerusalem shall be trodden uh, my, by the feet of the main, Gentiles. My main point, okay, of calling was asking about the patience part. The patience part of, of which right. pa- about I'm telling you, I've read through maybe 15 times all the way through, and I'm missing, I, I was missing the uh, part where you got to have patience. Uh-huh. I heard all these promises about how things would be better for me and things would work out, and I'm telling you, uh, like in Revelation, it says, remember patient endurance. Yeah, perseverance and patience, yeah. Right, that whole point. I was only bring up that one scripture because that was my question was, you know, well, why does somebody got to have patience? Well, because things ain't going to go the way you want. Well, uh, there's several passages that come to my mind. Right. In Galatians chapter 6, verse 9, it says, Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time will reap a harvest if we don't give up. So we're talking about 
perseverance and patience includes not giving up. In in James chapter 1, verse 12, it says, Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial. That means when it's difficult, when it's when it's hard, when it's really hard, because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. And then in Hebrews 10.36, it says you need to persevere so that when you've done the will of God, you will receive what is promised. So there's several elements. Those who persevere receive what God promises. You'll receive a crown of life. You'll reap a harvest. And then the Lord is patient. He's patient regarding salvation. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise as some understand slowness. His he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. So in that context, it's a different, it's, it has to do with, again, trusting him to the end. Um, well, it, it's disturbing some of the things I read, okay? Um, I, I guess I was pointing to that verse because it says that day will close in on you like a trap. You remember that verse? Um, I thought it was the one I gave you, but I was wrong. Let me uh, that that translation doesn't sound right, but y- y- let me try be where it says, "Be careful, or your hearts will be weighed down with carousing drunkenness and the anxieties right, of life, that one. and the day will close on you like a trap." So the in the NIV it says that. Um, in, in another translation, it says, but watch yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation, which is another word for partying and drunkenness and the cares of this life. And that day come upon you suddenly like a trap. The day that he is making uh, reference to is the day of judgment. It's the final day. It's that day when every circumstance is going to be evaluated. As a matter of fact, the passage right before that says, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. And then it says, concerning that day will spring on you suddenly like a snare or a trap, for it will come upon all who dwell on the face of the earth. And so there is this, in this particular instance, it isn't seemingly about the Christian's judgment before the Bema Seat of Christ, which is a day of judgment that involves reward, but this is the day for the person who is neglected, I'm going to use the term, even dismissed or suppressed the truth that there is going to be a judgment day, and so they've just decided to live their life as if it's if what the Bible says about the coming of Jesus isn't true. Okay, um, look, I know you're really educated. You've studied all the translations, all the languages, but it does say, I mean, who is he talking to in this instance? In that instance, for the person who's rejecting him. This is Gino Geraci, so glad you could join me on the program. The number is 303-873-1935 if you'd like to join us on the program. 303-873-1935. 
Al Moeller, who has been on this program several times and is, of course, the the president of Southern Seminary, um, basically is warning and pushing back on Russian fake news and, again, reminding everyone that truth really does exist. Theologian and author Al Mohler is encouraging Christians not to fall for fake news in the war on Ukraine, saying that believers are called to seek the truth and think rationally. So it's not it's it's not irrelevant and it's certainly not disconnected for a Christian to say, I want to know the truth, but I also want to be able to think reasonably. Now, that doesn't mean that, quote-unquote, it's reason that informs truth, but rather truth, particularly in, in the revelation of God, that informs reason. And Al Mohler said last week on his briefing, which I tried to listen to on a religious kind of a basis, where I'm trying to keep current with what he's saying. I don't I don't always get to to hear every single one, but he said on Friday, quote, the Christian worldview is predicated upon the fact that facts really do exist, that objective reality is indeed reality, and that it is ultimately knowable, unquote. And so once again we are pushing back on a culture that believes that truth is some sort of social, cultural, or artificial construct. Moeller made his comments the same week that Russia denied bombing a Ukrainian maternity and children's hospital. Now, imagine they bomb this Ukrainian maternity and children's hospital. We have video And people will say, well, they could have faked the video. They could have done this, and they could have done that. Russia told the world, as you saw with your own eyes, women and children killed. Russia told the world, don't believe what you see. Don't believe all the evidence. Don't believe the video. Don't believe the images. Believe us. Al Mohler said, quote, I have heard others in the media say that what we have here are competing narratives, he said. He said, quote, well, that might be true, but Christians understand that the most important reality is not narrative. It's fact. It's objective reality. And the big question is, which narrative accurately describes the facts, the historical occurrences? He said, Francis Schaeffer, one of the great apologists of the 20th century, reminded Christians that we have to continually come back to space, time, and history. Events that take place in space and time and history, said Moeller, again, who's the president of Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. Now, when he's quoting Moeller, remember, we're living in a culture and a society that has embraced the view that you can deconstruct the narrative. 
and that people use facts, evidence, and images, if you will, in space and time and history as clubs to promote their position. But again, what we have to ask and answer is that question, is there such a thing as truth? Is there such a thing as reality? And Moeller basically reminds us, as people made in the image of God, who rightfully seek the truth, he said, we have to understand that truth really does exist. 303-873-1935, 303-873-1935. Al Mohler said, life isn't just a, a, a matter of battling narratives. And what's taking place right now in Ukraine is certainly not warfare made deadly by narrative. It's deadly by bullets and bombs and rockets, unquote. Christians, he said, must understand that facts are facts. And so you have this quote-unquote narrative (laughs) about brute facts. Al Mohler says, quote, there's so much information flowing around us that the downside is that there's opportunity for propaganda, for so-called fake news, he said, and for distortion, he said. But it's also, on the other hand, an opportunity for almost any fact on the ground to become known and for a denial of reality to eventually be shown for what it is, unquote. And so he reminds us rightfully that Christians are called to not only seek the truth, but also to think in ways that are rational and fact-based, and clear, and honest, he said. He went on and said, quote, Ukraine did not invade Russia, and Russia was certainly under no threat from Ukraine. He said, the Ukrainians had not amassed hundreds of thousands of troops and tanks and jet aircraft and bombers on the border of Russia. It was just the opposite that took place right before the watching eyes of the world with aerial surveillance and satellite images and eventually with the horrifying confirmation that came by the fact that Russia moved to an active invasion of Ukraine, unquote. And so I have tried to amass, if you will, the information that's been floating around about all of the pundits and analysts who have asked the question, why did Vladimir Putin invade Ukraine? And again, as you read and listen to the different voices that are coming from a number of different directions, it's been uh, established that there are some dozen theories to explain Putin's actions and motives 
and objectives. And some analysts are proposing that Putin is motivated by a desire to rebuild the Russian Empire. Others say he's obsessed with bringing Ukraine back into Russia's sphere of influence. Some even believe that Putin wants to control Ukraine's offshore energy resources. Still others suggest and speculate that Putin, an aging autocrat, actually 69 years old, is still holding on, trying to maintain his grip on power. And some have argued that Putin has some sort of long-term proactive strategy aimed at establishing Russian primacy in Europe, but also to weaken and eventually destroy the NATO alliance. So, what are we to think? And I think that there's a number of different things that we can think about as we look at the analysts and the facts and the evidence. And of course, the most common explanation for Russia's invasion is that Putin burning with resentment over the demise of the Soviet Union is determined to reestablish it. Is that true? What's the evidence to show that? Well, I'll try and bring that to you. Hey, welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. This is Gino Geraci. So glad you could join me on the program. It's 303-873-1935. We were talking about some of the explanations that have been offered over the past several weeks of why Russian President Vladimir Putin um, not only began his invasion, but invaded. It's the million-dollar question. Why did he do this? And um, again, there's a growing group of people who are asking the question, what's his we, – we've watched for the last three weeks. What's his middle game and what is his end game? And again, the most common explanation for the invasion of Ukraine is that Putin wants to reestablish – the old Soviet Union. Some people have comically suggested he wants to get the band back together. According to this theory, Putin aims to regain control over the 14 post-Soviet states, often referred to as Russia's near abroad, that became independent after the collapse of the former Soviet Union in 1991. So there's two different ways of thinking even about this. Are there territories that that Putin is interested in regaining and retaining and are there territories that were that were more problematic and that weren't worth the effort? And so the Russian Empire theory holds that Putin's invasion of Georgia in 2008 and the Crimea in 2014, as well as his decision in 2015 to intervene in Syria, were all part of a strategy to restore Russia's geopolitical position and then erode the primacy, supremacy, if you will, of the United States in the international order. And so for those who are um, who believe that that's what 
the Russian president is trying to do is the idea that once he gains control over Ukraine, his focus is going to turn to other former Soviet republics, like the Baltic countries of Estonia, Latvia, and Lithuania, eventually Bulgaria, Romania, and even Poland. My friend Joel Rosenberg suggested this all along, that that part of Putin's point may be to press a little bit harder to determine whether or not the NATO alliance will hold up under Putin's threat. And what we've discovered is that it's galvanized Europe. It's completely changed Germany and also the sentiment in the whole world. So analysts, Putin observers, are suggesting that what he's trying to do is drive the United States and its influence out of Europe and then establish a great sphere of influence on the continent. And analysts have um, have written about this. At thegateinstitute.org, and there is a, an amazing article that's been written by Soren Kern. The Soren Kern, K-E-R-N, he posted it today at gatestoneinstitute.org. And there he provides the... Um, What's the word I'm looking for? He provides the source material for this information. And at that article, part of the source material that he cites is the Russian literature. In 1997, he writes, for instance, that Russian strategist Alexander Dugin, a friend of Putin, published an influential book called The Foundation of Geopolitics, The Geopolitical Future of Russia, which argued that Russia's long-term goal should be the creation not of of a recreated Russian empire or even an old Soviet Union, but of a Eurasian empire. And again, this goes back to what Joel Rosenberg said weeks ago, that Vladimir Putin's worldview isn't a hardline ideologue, socialist, or communist, but rather a mad, evil imperialist. Putin sees himself as a czar. We might even think of this like a mafia boss. And this book by Alexander Dugin is required reading in Russian military academies and to talk about making Russia great. I hate to use the term to make Russia great again. And so in this book, Dugan writes that Georgia has to be dismembered. Finland needs to be annexed. Ukraine should cease to exist. Now think about that. He wrote that in 1997. In 1997, Alexander Dugan, friend of Putin, wrote, quote, Ukraine, as an independent state with certain territorial ambitions, represents an enormous danger for all of Eurasia. Dugan has been described as Putin's Rasputin, and he added, quote, the Eurasian Empire will be constructed on the fundamental principle of the common enemy, the rejection of 
Atlanticism. And what he means by that phrase, the rejection of Atlanticism, he's talking about European values and virtue. So he uses the term the rejection of Atlanticism. We might think of that as the supremacy of Europe. And then he talks about the strategic control of the USA. It has to go. And the refusal to allow liberal values to dominate us. His words, the refusal to allow liberal values to dominate us. And by what I think he means by liberal values, I think what he means is democratic values of personal freedom and human rights. You know, it's interesting to me (laughs) that when we break down the conversation of what's going on, we talk about the free world and those that are governed by totalitarian, autocratic dictators. So even when we're talking about China and the Chinese Communist Party, even when we're talking about India, which is, of course, technically supposed to be a democracy, what we find is that, in many ways, it's a hierarchy of control. We've seen glimpses of totalitarianism in our own government with the COVID lockdowns. In Canada, with the trucker revolt. And of course, even in Australia, with the COVID restrictions. In April 2005, Putin, in his annual State of the Nation address, described the collapse of the former Soviet Union, his words, as the greatest geopolitical catastrophe of the 20th century. And since then, the Russian president has repeatedly criticized the U.S.-led world order in which Russia has played what he perceives to be a subordinate role. And so... I'm wondering if he's been seething for the past 17 years. Because it would appear that this invasion wasn't done on a whim, but it was carefully crafted and carefully calculated. Hey, if you'd like to join me on the program, it's 303-873-1935. would love to take your questions about the Bible about worldviews, world religions. This is Gino Geraci. Thanks for joining me. I'll be back taking your calls, answering your questions. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn. 
deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.